All right, what's up, ladies and gentlemen? We are live, and of course, I've got a big show for you guys today. Today is a big day. It is the first day of the... (coughs) Excuse me. Already coughing. I'm still a little sick, but I'm getting better. I feel a little bit better today, so we're going to push through it. Uh, We got three big stories. So Abe Hamaday is petitioning the courts in Arizona for a new trial based on the new evidence that came out of Penal County after the recount and saying that Katie Hobbs effectively withheld information from his case intentionally. Uh, We're also going to talk a little bit about this NFL player, the safety for the Buffalo Bills, collapsing during a nationally televised NFL game last night, having to be resuscitated on the field. And there's a major debate going on right now about whether or not you know, he had an underlying health condition that nobody knew about or whether it was related to the vaccine. And of course, we're going to talk about Kevin McCarthy squirming for the House Speaker gavel. Uh, we had sources say that right now it is not looking good for Kevin McCarthy. Reports coming in that he only has 195 of the 218 needed votes and it's going to be interesting. So, we're going to cover all this, but first, a message from the sponsor of this show, Gold Co. Guys, listen, the last time the economy looked like this, the stock market tanked 50%, the U.S. dollar lost 46% of its value, and the price of oil quadrupled. Yet, while the U.S. economy collapsed and inflation ran through the roof, the price of gold shot up 1,300%, and silver rocketed over 2,400%. So if history repeats itself, we could see it happen again. Can you afford to miss what could be the biggest gold and silver boom of our generation? That's why I want you to visit nicklovesgold.com, because when you do, you'll not only get the chance to protect your retirement savings with gold and silver, you could get up to $10,000 in free silver just for doing it. This is a rare opportunity, so don't miss what could be your best opportunity to protect your retirement savings. Visit nicklovesgold.com. That's nicklovesgold.com. Okay, so let's go ahead and start this show by talking about uh, this NFL player because, well, I mean, I don't watch sport ball, okay? I'm weird like that. I think it's more or less... You know, like bread and circus for the the masses to distract people. But I did, of course, you know, uh, see the news. Everybody's talking about this. It's like the number one thing trending on Twitter. And it is very shocking and very tragic. I think it's kind of sad that the world we live in today, stuff like this immediately becomes political. But when you have, you know, every single mainstream media outlet telling us that, you know, this guy who, who takes... Hits like this day in and day out, thousands of times per year. A world-class athlete, 24 years old, gets tackled and and what looks like a pretty normal routine tackle collapses and has, you know, a cardiac arrest and almost dies on the field. The only thing we're allowed to say is that, you know, it was because of a blow to the chest. When we know that every single player on the team was forced to be vaccinated and for the past year we've seen athletes collapse in record numbers and you know so i just find this odd i just find this really it's it's very odd you know that they're trying to tell us we can't even question whether or not this could have been related to the vaccine i mean take a look at this tackle i've slowed it down to about 0.25 speed and i just want you to i'm sure you've seen this clip but I just want you to look and see that it really was more of a blow to the head and neck than to the chest in the first place, and it wasn't that crushing of a blow. So, let me go ahead and play this.
I mean, yeah, it was a pretty it was a pretty hard tackle, but that type of thing, like these guys are trained athletes. That's what they go through on a daily basis. Even in practice, they take hits harder than that. So the fact that nobody can even open up the discussion about whether or not this could possibly be related to the vaccine is what makes a lot of people turn into conspiracy theorists. It should at least be part of the discussion. It should be something that we can ask questions about. But the mainstream media, and you know, not a single reporter, not a single mainstream media outlet has even raised this as an issue. But uh, I do want to highlight something that Dr. Peter McCullough, you know, he was... um, He was one of the first people to suggest that that might be related. Dr. Peter McCullough wrote last night at 7.54 p.m. He said, quote, I watched the play live as a fan and a cardiologist, and I saw blunt neck and chest trauma, a brief recovery after the tackle, and then a classic cardiac arrest. I have communicated to one of the most experienced trainers in the world, and we agree that it was a cardiac arrest in the setting of a big surge of adrenaline. If DeMar Hamlin indeed took one of the COVID-19 vaccines, then subclinical vaccine-induced myocarditis must be considered in the differential diagnosis. We have been told he was successfully defibrillated on the field and has been intubated and is not spontaneously breathing, which is consistent with anoxic encephalopathy. The nation prays for his complete recovery. And yes, we do. I I pray for this man's recovery. I hope that he's okay. Um... My heart goes out to this man. I know that's not that's not intended to be a pun, but um, you know it's very tragic. Uh, he's only 24 years old, has his entire life and career ahead of him, and then all of a sudden, he gets tackled and he collapses on the field. And now it's looking like uh, there's there's a very small chance that he'll make a full recovery. Uh, this is so it's very sad. But so what Dr. Peter McCullough is suggesting here is that you just you at least have to consider the possibility that this was related to the COVID-19 vaccines because so basically what he's saying is that it's a little bit of both here taking, uh, you know, blunt trauma to the chest, the surge of adrenaline sets the conditions for, um, you know, like basically the, the, the vaccine, if he has myocarditis caused by the vaccine, a surge of adrenaline like that can send him into cardiac arrest. So it's not one or the other. It could be a little bit of both if this was related to the vaccine. Now, a lot of people on Twitter, a lot of the leftists, and a lot of the, um, even Tim Pool. Tim Pool likes to sit on the fence a lot. I do love Tim Pool, but he does sit on the fence a lot. And he said, you know, people saying that, there's all these athletes uh, collapsing on the field related to the vaccine. We would need to look at prior years and see what are the numbers from prior years before we can say that, you know, there's this sudden surge of athletes collapsing. And Peter McCullough actually says that when you look at prior years, there absolutely is a massive surge of athletes collapsing on the field. And so this is a study that, uh, a recent paper from Dr. Polycretus and uh, Dr. Peter McCullough showing a sharp rise in athlete deaths in PubMed since vaccination. He said, quote, 1,598 athletes suffered cardiac arrest, 11,001 uh, of which with deadly outcome. Now, check this out. Looking at prior years, 
over a prior 38 years, from 1966 to 2004, 1,101 athletes uh, under age of 35 died. So, so we're looking at uh, since vaccination. When did the when did the vaccines come out? I think the first vaccine was administered in the U.S. December 15, 2020. Okay, and so um, it's been a couple years. I'm not sure exactly when you know athletes in the NFL were forced to get vaccinated, but we're looking at we're comparing to a 38 year average, right? Versus two two years, two to three years. So in the past two to three years, there's been 1,598 athletes uh, suffering from cardiac arrest, 1,100 of which died, and in in a 38 year period, right? Um, only 1,101 athletes died. I'm not sure if I'm reading that right. It's a little confusing, but that's that appears what he's saying. So there's absolutely, we've seen the compilation videos, especially in soccer. There's been so many athletes that have just collapsed on the field, and we did not see this before. And even CNN acknowledges that this has literally never happened in the NFL. There was one story that they tried to highlight and try to paint the narrative that, look, this has happened before. And they highlighted this NHL player who collapsed on the ice following a slap shot to the chest. And uh, they say, so so I guess this guy, uh, Chris Pronger, he collapsed mid-game in 1998 in Detroit after getting hit in the chest by a slap shot. And he tweeted his support for the Bills' DeMar Hamlin on Tuesday. So this guy, um, in 1998, he collapsed from a slap shot, a hockey puck right to the heart. And it, it, I mean, this is how I interpret it. CNN is basically trying to say, look, look, here's an example of one time when this happened prior to the vaccines coming out. There was this NHL player, he collapsed, and uh, you know he suffered cardiac arrest from a blunt trauma to the chest. See? So it's not the vaccine because this happened one time before 34 years ago. And, uh, you know, there's the... But if you look at this clip, I pulled this clip as well. Let me turn the volume off. I mean, this dude, we're talking about a slap shot of a hockey puck direct hit to the heart. That's very different than getting tackled and taking, uh, you know... A helmet mostly to the neck and and head. Like it, it's 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 not even comparable. Check this out. Boom! Right in the heart. Right in the heart. This dude this dude goes straight down. Now he survived this. He survived this, but that is definitely because of a blunt trauma to the chest. Damar Hamlin, I mean, here's my stance on it. We should at least be able to have the debate. We should be able to at least suggest the possibility that this might be possibly related to the vaccine, right? I mean, to just completely rule that out and not even put that on the table for discussion, that's where the conspiracy theories start. And you guys bring it on yourself. So, uh, I don't have too much to say about this. Again, I'm not, I don't, I don't really watch football, um, but my, my heart goes out to this man. My prayers go out for this man. And it is sad and it is tragic. Um, And I do hate that this is politicized. But it is what it is, man. Uh, So, with that said, let's get into 
my bread and butter. Let's talk about the election, okay? So, Hamaday is seeking a new trial, and uh, Mr. Adrian Manboob Fontes, he was actually, um, he's the new Secretary of State. Mr. Manboob's Fontes, Republican-controlled, he slams uh, Republican-controlled Penal County Board for election mess. Okay, so Abraham Hamaday, the Republican candidate for Arizona Attorney General, in the recent 2022 general election intends to ask a Mojave County judge for a new trial in his election challenge based in part on critical evidence withheld from Penal County about hundreds of uncounted ballots. Hamaday's challenge was denied December 23rd by Judge Lee Jansen, who cited a lack of evidence to support the candidate's contention that potentially a few thousand valid ballots were not counted by Arizona's 15 counties. On December 29th, the results of a statewide recount in the Attorney General's race slashed Chris May's apparent 511 vote win over Hamaday to only 280 votes. The motion by Hamaday for a new trial is expected to focus on what Hobbs and her staff knew about Penal County's errors in tabulating votes before and after the county's Board of Supervisors canvassed its election results on November 21st. One question for Jansen will be whether Hobbs and Penal County officials acted with intentional disregard by withholding critical evidence in Hamaday's case. For instance, Penal County's uh, recount report shows 507 more votes were tabulated as part of a mandatory recount of the Attorney General's race than had been reported earlier in the year in the earlier county and state canvases. But information about those errors was never disclosed to the public or Jansen the week before when the judge conducted an evidentiary trial in Hamaday's election lawsuit. And we know Abraham Hamaday, he claims that Katie Hobbs had the results of the recount in her possession. She knew the totals before it was released to the public and before the trial. In fact, it was scheduled to be released on December 22nd. Abraham Hamaday went to trial on the 23rd. And for some reason, Katie Hobbs took it upon herself to have these results sent directly to her office and withheld the results until the trial concluded. Now, obviously, Abraham Hamaday is going to court suggesting that provisional ballots were not counted correctly, that uh, write-ins were not tabulated correctly, and that he, he lost votes due to uh, a manual adjudication errors and tabulation errors. And so here... Katie Hobbs, she sits on evidence that there was a massive discrepancy in a county in the recount. She knows this information, and she did not provide this to Abraham Hamaday's attorneys. Not only that, but she did not release it to the public. Now, you can make the argument, I believe Katie Hobbs and AZ data guru uh, Garrett Archer, who's like a shill for the Democrat uh, Party, he and, and and Katie Hobbs have have basically said that they're not supposed to release the recount results until after the uh, tr the election challenge trials have concluded. Okay, maybe that's the case that you can't release it to the public, but you would think that this relevant information that Hamaday would use in his trial, obviously to make his case, would be provided to their attorneys, right? I mean. So I think that asking for a new trial is de there's definitely grounds for that. There's absolutely um, uh, uh, there's absolutely obstruction that happened here. Katie Hobbs withheld this evidence, I believe, intentionally. Now the extent of Penal County's problems caught even 
veteran election officials off guard, including newly sworn in Secretary of State Adrian von Bress. I say that because he has ma- massive man boobs. You can look it up yourself. Uh, it's not a conspiracy. You can look at the man's chesticles and see for yourself the man has massive man boobs. So, anyways, he expressed dismay at the problematic Penal County situation, comparing it to the barely acceptable performance in Maricopa County where only a handful of additional votes were reported in the recount uh, out of nearly... 2 million ballots. He then pointed the finger of blame at Penal County's Republican-controlled Board of Supervisors. He said, quote, You know, the single-digit differences are not unusual, but but it is absolutely, it's really problematic to see the number of ballots in Penal County that were not tabulated. Now, of course, Adrian Fontes, really what he's using this as is an opportunity to take a jab at a Republican-controlled county and try to discount and uh, minimize the issues that we saw in Maricopa County, saying, look, it's actually the Republicans that are a real problem. I mean, even with the tabulator breakdowns in Maricopa, their recount results were only off by single digits. And here you have Penal County, these incompetent Republicans um, running a botched election. And this guy's a shill. He's a total freaking shill, a total plant, total operative. Uh, So, you know, don't get it twisted. He's not trying to lend credence to Abraham Hamaday's election challenge at all. All he's trying to do is deflect from the botched election in Maricopa and shift blame to Penal County. Now, that said, Penal County has had a lot of problems. Their elections are a total disaster. We had David Frisk was fired after they sent out 63,000 ballots without the municipal races on it uh, in early voting, and they had to send out new ballots that that so they sent out uh ballots with only the i think it was only the federal races on it and so people's ballots were they didn't include all the races and how did they rectify that they had to send out 63,000 new ballots that contained the races that were missing so these people had to vote on two freaking ballots this was in the primaries also in the primaries they ran out of paper across uh, i mean there was massive election day issues in penal county now, um, so I'm not trying to downplay. Penal County has major issues, but frickin' uh, man boob Von Bress is not <laughs> not somebody to be trusted. Uh, don't get it twisted. He's not uh, trying to give credit to Abraham Amadei. Now, I talked about this the other day, and I want to... You know, when I first read this, I didn't really catch what a bombshell this was. This is the election recount summary of Penal County. And I hope that Abraham Hamaday, as well as Carrie Lake, are paying attention. Because after I read this election recount summary, this is this is Penal County telling us what caused all the problems and, you know, what caused this discrepancy in their recount. And I hope that, uh, I hope that Abraham Hamaday and Carrie Lake take a look at this and amend their complaints, amend their challenges, because what this shows is clear manipulation by the actual, uh, uh, this this is manipulation by the ESNS tabulators. They're basically highlighting in this recount summary, meaning they had this massive discrepancy in the recount, so then they took a look, they inspected what was the issue, what caused this discrepancy of like 500 votes in the recount, and these were their conclusions. So they had a they had a problem with the poll pad check-in 
Uh, and so basically, the poll pads, the electronic poll pads, were not scanning people's driver's license. And so people were not being checked in. And then they, they go on to say, learning of the poll pad check-in problem, we began to research this concern and started with Precinct 1, which showed a difference between poll pad check-ins and number of votes counted. Upon examination, it appeared to contain... They, so they opened up the, um, the locked Precinct ballot box, and upon examination, it appeared to contain more than 422 ballot cards, which was indicated as number of cards tabulated on election day. So they opened up the box and they found 422 ballot cards. Therefore, we physically hand counted the number of ballot cards in that box. Our hand count revealed 600 ballot cards, not 422. Okay, so they're, they're finding a discrepancy where there was actually 600 ballot cards, not 422. And so where did these ballots come from? It's, what is it, 178 ballots mysteriously appeared. And so then they went and looked at three different precincts after they found this issue, and they found similar disparities. They looked at three different precincts physically counted the number of ballots that that were contained, and all three had more ballots than were reported on election day. Okay? So, what does this suggest? This suggests not not that votes were added, but that ballots were not being counted by the tabulator. They looked at four precincts, and all four of the precincts had ballots that were not actually counted by the tabulator. Okay, now these are just the four precincts that they looked at. They didn't look at them all. And remember, the recount was done on machines. So here's what, here's what I'm trying to say here. The recount was done by taking the, t- the, the ballots and running them through the same tabulators that was used in the general election. Now, that tabulator recount showed a discrepancy. They found more ballots for uh, both candidates, right? So then they were like, okay, what happened here? And they hand counted four precincts and found a disparity across all four precincts. All four had more ballots than were actually reported on election day. Now you would think, okay, well, we need to go look at all the precincts. We need to hand count every precinct, right? But that's not what they did. So reason would tell you that if you did a hand hand count or ballot inspection across the county, there was probably a lot more ballots that were not counted than what was found in the recount. If you did a hand count across the board, then you would find more, I would assume. So check this out. Since all four precincts had been counted on machine B, they were all counted on the same machine, there was a concern of a possible machine inconsistency when tabulating on election day. So they had a concern that it might have been the machine not counting ballots. So then what did they do? what did they do? They notified the county attorney and the vendor ESNS. So ESNS came out and checked the machine and ran ballots through the machine. Now, I I bet you those were not uh, election day ballots. Those were probably test ballots. And they say that they were unable to get Machine B to repeat the inconsistencies they experienced on election night. 
Instead, when batches of ballots were ran through again by ESNS representatives, no errors were evident. So ESNS comes in and they say, nothing to see here. The machine is working just fine. But what do we know? We know that on election day in Maricopa County, at least, there was 19 inch ballot images being printed on 20 inch ballot paper. So if ESNS comes in and they run test ballots that are properly printed through the machine and there's no tabulation issues and then conclude that there's nothing to see here. Well, that's what you call a shell game smoke and mirrors act. Okay. So, and that's, that's like the Fox guarding the hen house. Once again, it's like having the criminals come in and investigate themselves and say, there's nothing to see here. Okay, so after this analysis, we conclude that human error was the cause of our election day miscounts. Machine B was manned by a partisan team composed of an individual who had used the machine in previous Penal County elections and was the most experienced of the tabulating team. We reviewed video of this team tabulating the questionable precincts but could not see where they did not put ballots on the machine to be counted. Okay, so they say it's human error, but... They watched the video of the human, <laughs> and they didn't find an error. <laughs> the, 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 the person was tabulating all of the ballots, but the tabulator was not counting them. So how do you say this was human error, when clearly it's not? Now here's what they identified. They say there was multiple paper jams observed on election day. None of the tabulating teams alerted any election employee about any issues or questions. However, we believe that when a machine jammed or a jam led to an error message, it may not have been interpreted correctly. Well, how do you not cor- how do you not interpret it correctly? If there's a paper jam and a big message pops up on the screen and says paper jam, paper jam, well, uh how do you not how do you not interpret that? And I'll tell you what happened. And I and I I'm almost 100% sure this is what happened. Remember what Clay Perique said under oath during Carrie Lake's trial. He said that these 19-inch ballot images on 20-inch paper caused the machine to interpret that as a paper jam. So let's say you're an election worker running the machine, and you put a ballot through, and the, the machine says paper jam, but you're like, I know there's not a paper jam. I just looked at the tray, and there's no paper jam, okay? There's, there's nothing in here. So, so what you're going to do is you're just going to put the ballot through the machine, it says paper jam, and you're going to say, there's no paper jam, and then you just ignore it and keep running ballots through. That's what happened, but what was happening when they did that was the machine was not tabulating these ballots. So, they say, we believe this led to ballots the operator thought were counted, but were not actually counted and needed to be returned from the output trays to the input tray to be rescanned, and they weren't. Again, human error. No, that's absolutely not human error. That is machine error. That is 100% machine error or a manipulation of the way ballots were printed. But either way, I want to say this. I said all that to say this. Abraham Hamad Day is seeking a new uh, trial on the basis that evidence was withheld. And I hope that he demands a hand recount. A hand recount of all the ballots. Because Arizona law says that initially the recount has to be done on machines. But 
After that's concluded and the results are reported, then he can request a hand recount. And he should get one, given the fact that we saw massive issues with the tabulators. So, the machine recount is not reliable. Now you have grounds to seek a hand recount, and I can almost guarantee you that if you actually physically count all those ballots, unless they've destroyed them, unless they've gone back and covered their steps, that you will find Abraham Hamaday was the winner. Because what it appears was happening on Election Day, where we know the majority of people that showed up on Election Day voted for Carrie Lake, voted for Abraham Hamaday, those ballots were being put through the tabulators, and either they were being spit back out by the machine and then duplicated, and votes were probably switched during the duplication process, or they were going through the tabulator and not being spit back out, but they were not being counted by the machine. Okay, so if you did a machine recount and you take the same ballots and put them through the same tabulators, you're going to get a similar result. But if you actually hand count them and you start looking and seeing, wait a second, we have more ballots than were reported on election night in every single precinct. Abraham Hamaday is going to clear that margin of victory. So the fight is not over. The fight is absolutely not over. I just hope that Abraham Hamaday has solid attorneys and can play it smart because every single time we count these damn ballots, the the, the margin between Mays and Hamaday shrinks, and now it's down to 280 votes, and we're talking about an election with 2.5 million votes. All they all that we need is a legitimate ballot inspection across the board, and I can guarantee you that Abraham Hamaday will be the clear winner and Carrie Lake as well. Okay, uh, so let's talk about Kevin McCarthy squirming right now because today is a very big day. Um, but before we do that, we're going to play a message from our sponsor, Gold Co. Gold Co. once again. Guys, listen, the last time the economy looked like this, the stock market tanked 50%, the U.S. dollar lost 46% of its value, and the price of oil quadrupled. Yet, while the U.S. economy collapsed and inflation ran through the roof, the price of gold shot up 1,300%, and silver rocketed over 2,400%. So if history repeats itself, we could see it happen again. Can you afford to miss what could be the biggest gold and silver boom of our generation? That's why I want you to visit nicklovesgold.com, because when you do... You'll not only get the chance to protect your retirement savings with gold and silver, you could get up to $10,000 in free silver just for doing it. This is a rare opportunity, so don't miss what could be your best opportunity to protect your retirement savings. Visit nicklovesgold.com. That's nicklovesgold.com. Okay, wow, we've got 841 people watching and only 86 rumbles, guys. Please smash that rumble button. If nothing else, just for my ego, please. (laughs) All right, so... Let's talk about this Kevin McCarthy squirming for his bid for the gavel, the House Speaker gavel. The vote is going down today, right? It's a very big day, the, the first day of the new Congress. And according to sources, McCarthy's not even close. He needs 218 votes, and we have a razor-thin majority in the House. Now, the bad thing is we have a razor-thin majority in the House. The good thing is having a razor-thin majority means it only takes a handful of people to obstruct a swamp creature like Kevin McCarthy from easily securing a bid for House Speaker. I mean, we've, we've, got a, we've got a handful of good people holding the line, standing firm, and rejecting this uh, Kevin McSwampy, the establishment puppet, from taking one of the, mo- the most powerful positions in government and circumventing the will of the people. 
because we know 99 there uh, apparently there's reports that people calling their representatives the calls are coming in 99 to 1 people saying we don't want McCarthy this is not what the people want nobody wants McCarthy and so it's going to be interesting what happens it's going to be very interesting these guys are going to be holding the line on the first ballot uh, right now, apparently, McCarthy only has 195 votes of the needed 218, and we don't know all the names, but we know that Matt Gates is one, Bob Good, uh, Andy Biggs, Chip Roy, these guys are holding the line. And here's how it's going to go down. So if McCarthy fails to secure a majority of votes in the first ballot, then they're just going to keep voting until somebody wins. But it's going to allow the Republicans that are uh, standing in the gap, so to speak, it's going to allow them to leverage. They have a lot of political power right now, and either they're going to upseat Kevin McCarthy and put somebody else there, or they are going to get major concessions from Kevin McCarthy. Either way, this is going to be a win. Uh, and so, here's how... And, and so, the problem is... The problem is with this whole attempt to get in a different speaker than Kevin McCarthy is we have this small handful of people willing to step up, but at the same time, the overwhelming vast majority of Republicans are holding just as firm for Kevin McCarthy. There was one uh, representative, Guy Reth, I don't know how to say his name, a Republican from uh, PA, Guy Reschelenthar told Politico, quote, we'll be here until the 4th of July voting for McCarthy. So you got you got these shills, these people shilling for McCarthy, saying that no matter how long it takes, we are going to elect Kevin McCarthy no matter what. We're not going to, basically saying that if these guys like Matt Gates think that they're going to, you know, hold out and we're going to concede and give the gavel to somebody else, it ain't happening. So we have two opposing factions that are equally uh, holding the line, one for the establishment, one for somebody else, and we don't know who that is yet. Um, and it, and so it's going to be, it could go on for a long time. It's been over 100 years, though. This is like almost unprecedented. It's been over 100 years since the House took more than one ballot to elect a speaker. Apparently, it took nine ballots in 1923. In 1855, it took 133 ballots over the course of two months. There's also been two occasions when the House has voted to elect a speaker by plurality rather than a majority. Okay, and this is where the big problems can come in. If they go to plurality rather than a majority, then this could give the Democrats... the the House speaker gavel. They want uh, Democrat Hakeem Jeffries from New York... And so when they when they put up the first ballot and you have the guys uh, like Matt Gates saying no, then they're going to vote a second time and a third time and a fourth time. And eventually what's going to have to happen is they're going to have to have like a backroom deal. They're all going to go into their private chamber and debate and they're 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 going to have to uh, make concessions. Somebody's going to have to cave. Somebody's going to have to budge. And one of the one of the tactics that the Democrats can use is to move to uh, plurality rather than a majority, and then you don't need 218, 
And then you would have Democrat Hakeem Jeffries. So this could present big problems. Um, but I, I really don't know how this is going to go down. What what the what the House Freedom Caucus is trying to get out of this, though, is concessions from McCarthy. If they can't upset him, they want concessions. The House Freedom Caucus has asked for rule changes that give more power to um, the members of the committees, right? Here's the things that the House Freedom Caucus wants Kevin McCarthy to cave on. They want one broader membership in the group that, that doles out committee assignments, two, allowing committee members to choose their own chairs, three, allowing amendments from the floor, and four, being given five days to review legislation before voting on it. Now, Kevin McCarthy, he's kind of signaled after this omnibus uh, massive spending package that he might concede to the last one, giving people five days to review legislation before voting on it. Uh, And the fact that they don't have that kind of time to review a 4,000-page omnibus spending bill when inflation's out of control is absolutely ridiculous and indicative that that the Congress is completely broken. So, um, however, the other three uh, rule changes that they're asking for, McCarthy says that he's not for it. But after you know the first ballot comes and he's only got 195 votes, then he might be squirming like a little weasel to try to appease these people and give them what they want so that he doesn't lose. And it's 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 going to be. Uh, it's going to be interesting. It could go all night. It could go into the next day. We don't know yet. But I want to give you guys my thoughts on why I think that there's so many shills, establishment swamp creatures that are shilling for Kevin McCarthy, despite the fact that nobody wants this. And the reason I think is very simple. Kevin McCarthy is the GOP fundraising uh, kingpin. Right, And he gets all this money from special interests and lobbyists. He gets all this money from the big, powerful donors that really control the government. And so you have all these people in Congress that they win their elections by the distributions of funds that come from Kevin McCarthy. Right? He's, he's, he gets all the donor money. And then he gives that to their campaigns, okay? And so they know. They're scared. They know that if they stand up uh, against McCarthy and they don't shill for him, if they step out of line and then he actually wins and becomes the House Speaker, then the next go-around, the establishment is going to do everything in its power to make sure that they don't get reelected and fund their challenger in the primaries. And that's how the system works. It's all about money. It's all about who controls the purse strings, right? That's why these people, they all, uh, th- that's why they're so easy to control. That's why they're so afraid to speak out against the establishment. The only ones that'll speak out are the ones that are in like completely uncontested districts. They know they don't have to worry about reelection. Uh, they know they don't even have to worry about, you know, a GOP establishment challenger. Those are the only people that are willing to step up and stand up to the regime. Otherwise, these people have to live in fear. They live in fear that somebody's going to take them out if they speak out, right? I mean, we've seen it happen before. And so, it's just going to take these people growing some freaking balls, man. And so, that's why I really commend uh, 
the the people like Matt Gates and Bob Good and all these guys that are that are willing to put a wrench in the establishment and their plans. To be honest with you, I really don't care what goes down or what comes out the other side. I care that people stand and hold the line and do the right thing and represent the will of the people. I don't care how much they're outnumbered. I don't care what happens in the end so long as they stand up and they fight for the people and do the right thing. Oftentimes we get told that you, we have to play along with this political circle jerk. We have to play the game, you know, because if we don't, then we're playing a dangerous game and we might lose the gavel to the Democrat, blah, 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 stuff like that. And I, I just, I'm tired of hearing that crap. I just want to see people do the right thing despite the consequences, because that's going to, when they see how the people get behind them and rally behind them, when they see that they have the people on their side. And the people far outnumber the establishment when they see the reaction from the people for standing and representing their their wishes and doing what's right rather than doing what's, you know, politically, strategically sound and safe and blah, blah, blah. Or what's, you know, what's in their best self-interest to protect themselves when they see the reaction from the people, then I believe it'll cause a chain reaction, a snowball effect. And that's all I want to see. I want to see people do the right thing despite the consequences. Now, the question is, what's going to be the alternative if they can successfully upset Kevin McCarthy? And apparently there's rumors going around that it's not Jim Jordan. It's not Andy Biggs. Apparently, it's the House Minority Whip, Steve Scalise. Now, Steve Scalise is slightly, slightly less establishment than McCarthy, but not that much better. But I guess uh, strategically, they're looking at this like, well, he's the second man in charge just below Kevin McCarthy. So it's not, if it's not going to be McCarthy, then it's going to be Steve Scalise. Uh, people, people are still thinking that it's going to be Trump. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry, man. It ain't going to be Trump because, for one, Trump is not even running for House Speaker. He's shown absolutely no interest. In fact, he said that he doesn't want to be House Speaker. And I don't think you can win unless you actually put yourself in the ring. And for two, I don't think that Trump would ever accept that position being second or third under Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. That just ain't that just ain't going to be how it goes down, man, because Trump is the CEO. It's either the White House or nothing at all. I would I can't ever imagine Trump being in any political position other than the president, which was stolen from him in 2020 that would be like a concession that would be like admitting defeat he's not going to take a demotion it's it's just not going to happen that ain't trump that ain't that ain't his brand that's not how he rolls so it's not going to happen for those reasons but it's also not going to happen because if you think we're having trouble getting somebody like jim jordan (laughs) imagine trying to put trump in there you don't think you still got two of the douchebags that tried to impeach him. You still got, uh, you know, half of the half of the Republican Party is are Democrats. That just that just ain't gonna happen. I'm sorry. You know, you got you got you got a dozen people opposing Kevin McCarthy. If you try to if you try to get Trump in there, you're gonna have, you know, two hundred Republicans refusing to vote and would rather elect a Democrat. It just ain't going to happen. So 
I never really talked too much about the possibility of Trump becoming House Speaker because I just I just never saw that possibility. We have people coming out and saying that it's going to be Steve Scalise. That's who they're trying to put up to challenge Kevin McCarthy, which isn't that great, but it's better than Kevin. And it would at least show that we can uh, stand up, we can fight back, we can throw a wrench in the in the plans of the establishment, and we can at least make a change, make a difference, get an outcome different than what they wanted, have some political power, have some ability to choose what we, what we the people want. So anyways, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the news, man, I'm telling you, the past couple of days has been slower than Joe Biden's brain. And uh, I, I've done my best to do a daily show for you guys. I'm doing my best, but the news is slow. But we're going to pay attention very closely to what happens in these election challenges in Arizona. And, of course, we'll have some updates on this bid for House Speaker. It's going to be a long day, Tater. It's going to be a long night. They might not even sleep tonight. It might go on and on and on endlessly. All right? So what I would ask you guys to do is please smash the rumble button and uh, consider going to nickmoseater.locals.com where you'll get an extra video, extra live stream every week when you become a $5 supporter. And uh, thank you, Hawkeye102 says, you do a great job, Nick. Well, I'm trying. You know, my motto my motto is, I may not be that smart. I may not be that talented. But I'll work my ass off, okay? I try really hard. So, anyways, we're going to wrap this show up. Make sure to smash the rumble button and subscribe if you haven't already. Check out nicklovesgold.com where you can get your free IRS loophole kit and protect your retirement because, ladies and gentlemen, inflation ain't getting better anytime soon. You got the $1.7 trillion just flooding the, uh, devaluing the dollar, and we haven't even seen the effects of that one yet. Inflation is out of control. The fiat currency is, is, (laughs) you might as well wipe your ass with it. You might as well. You might as well uh, wallpaper your house with it because it's it's pretty quickly going to be worth less than the actual wallpaper. Now, we're going to get out of here. I don't know if I'm going to be doing a show tomorrow because I actually have to go to court for a buddy of mine. Uh, It's a complicated situation, but I got to be there 930 in the morning. Don't know when I'm going to get out of there. And uh, but we will be back on Thursday and Friday around noon. And I'm probably going to upload a couple short clips to the new YouTube channel. If you guys go on YouTube and type in Nick Space Mo, you can find me there trying to get that thing up and running, make a video go viral, and tell all them sons of biscuits to come over here to Rumble. All right, so thank you for watching. Thank you for being a subscriber, and I will see you next time.